The Chet Kalvik Podcast Network. Welcome to Sports Stores, a podcast where Chicago sports broadcasting pioneer and a national legal expert get into the legal goings of sports. And now your hosts, Chet Kalvik and Lester Munson. How you doing, everybody? Welcome once again to uh, Sports Court. I'm Chad Kopic, joined by ESPN legal expert Lester Munson. And of course, we're brought to you by our great friends at American Taxi. Now, for you people who live in the Chicagoland suburbs, if you're thinking about that trip to O'Hare Field, that trip to Midway Airport, you always want to rely on the courtesy, the excellence, the cooperation, the pleasure of riding in a nice, clean American taxi. Above and beyond that, you don't want a DUI on your record. You don't want to harm anyone least of all yourself. If you're overserved, let American Taxi be your designated driver. Take care of yourself. Ride with people who are always going to treat you the way you deserve to be treated, and that is in a first-class manner. As we join our good friend, Mr. Lester Munson. Lester, my friend, uh, a lot of talk, uh, as is custom down at the Super Bowl, about uh, a topic. There's always one topic. This year it appears to be head injuries. My gut tells me the National Football League will go into its uh, traditional public relations mode. Uh, the reality component within Copic says the National Football League is probably not really concerned about head injuries. I, I would agree with that, Chet. The National Football League is concerned about making money. It is concerned about the bottom line. It is easily the most successful, the most impressive, the greatest commercial enterprise ever put together in sports and that's because they focus on one thing they focus on money the players are expendable and concussion injuries have been a bit of a problem for the national football league they're a serious problem for the players we're only now beginning to understand what happens to these guys i spent three days one time with a guy named harry carson the linebacker on the new york giants a brilliant guy Terrific player, a leadership guy, the kind of guy you can build a defense around. He now can barely complete a sentence. You have to sit quietly while he finds the word back there in his mind. He always finds it, but it can take 10, 15, 18 seconds, which is longer than you think as you're talking to him. These guys get hurt. I don't think the NFL really cares about them. It's up to others, the union and and some physicians who care about this to try to do something. Lester, Harry Carson became a good friend of mine during my uh, four years I spent in New York doing uh, talk television for uh, Cablevision and News Sport. And at that time, what we would do with Harry, and Harry was a wonderful guy who frequently came from his home in uh, New Jersey out to Long Island where we had our studios. I would always give, and this was very unusual, never did this with anybody, I would always give Harry the questions I wanted to pose to him in advance because you you didn't want the embarrassment. And a couple of times you could sense that Harry was caught in midstream. Now, that was a dozen years ago. Fortunately, Harry is now in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which, as you know, took far too long because he lived in the shadow of Lawrence Taylor, and there was some type of bias against Harry Carson. But how are Roger Goodell, how the National Football League, how the McCaskies, how Robert Kraft, how the NFL could look at Harry Carson, what he offered this league, the class he brought to the NFL, and not give greater concern to head injuries is beyond me. And every time I hear a football announcer on Fox or CBS or Monday Night Football say, well, 
his bell has been rung. No, stupid, his bell hasn't been rung. He has a head injury. He has a concussion is what has happened, and he probably, at the end of the game, isn't even going to remember that that happened, and that's mm-hmm. only the beginning of the damage that is done. Alan Schwartz on the New York Times has done a brilliant job reporting on this. I think it's really only because of his reporting that the NFL is finally doing something. Harry testified before the Congress on this. Other players have testified. Very little has happened. Will the NFL do anything? I'm not so sure they will. They'll have a a committee study it. Joe Brown and Greg Aiello will make very encouraging statements about it. But meanwhile, the players have got to do something for themselves, and there's way too many players who don't know how serious the injury is. They try to get back out on the field too soon. They're worried about losing their job. Harry can talk about this eloquently in his Mm -hmm. own hesitating way. You want to play, and so you deny that you're hurt. They've, they've got to learn that when you're knocked out, even for five seconds on the field, you got to respond and you got to take care of yourself. Lester, a lot of our uh, people remember uh, a nails-tough lineman named Conrad Dirty Dobler. Oh, boy. I mean, Conrad was a monster. And Conrad, you know, loved the National Football League and penalties probably a half a dozen times. Today, for all practical purposes, Conrad Dobler, who has yet to reach his 60th birthday, is chicken noodle soup. I sat with him at a congressional hearing. There was a Senate committee that looked into this. They were worried primarily about older players. This is one where Ditka testified. They thought Dobler would be a witness in that hearing. When When they met him and realized the condition he was in, they decided this would not work. I sat with him during the hearing. He's a fascinating character, but boy, do you have to extract information from him. He is very badly banged up. He he understands, I think, the extent of his injuries. He'd like to do something about it, and he's one of those guys who's been left out in the cold. Lester, again, uh, think about the impact of Ted Hendricks, the mad stork with the Oakland Raiders. <laughs> Magnificent football player today, suffering from post-concussion syndrome. Now, we're talking about, in the case of Dobler, in the case of uh, Hendricks, in the case of Harry Carson, we're talking about players who had so-called legitimate marquee value. Gosh only knows how many players are out there right now who played in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s who don't know what day it is because of head injuries. And nobody's doing a thing for them. You're right. Those guys were all significant players. They had long careers in the NFL, which I think added to the problems. Most players last less than four years. As you say, they get their bell rung two or three times. Then, for the rest of their life, they're fighting with uh, closed head injury, with concussions, and all that follows. It's a sad story. I I would love to think that the owners and Commissioner Goodell would do something about this, but they're going to have to convince me. They typically do not like to get involved in this kind of thing with players who are no longer earning them any profits. Being very candid, you've been involved in sports law now for two decades you you actually have a significant degree of anger toward the nfl don't you i think i have some uh, when, when i started working on this i had no idea of the attitude that the owners and commissioner tagliabu had on football players i i learned a lot about that during the antitrust cases the free agency cases that gene upshaw was pursuing uh for his players and yes i do worry about the attitude they have toward the players 
I think most of us who are fans or journalists, we have some kind of warm feeling for these guys. We know what they're doing to themselves out there. We know the injuries that they are suffering, that they play through. And it would be nice if the management of the league had a different idea. But there are things that the NFL does that do make you very angry. You know, let's let's talk about one of the most uh, beloved men in Chicago journalism history, the late Bill Gleason, who just recently passed away. I recall Bill telling me about 25 years ago, do you want to take the head as a physical weapon out of pro football? Eliminate the birdcage. Just give football players a single bar across their uh, across their helmets, and you will eliminate, in large part, the use of the helmet. I mean, it's still, in pro football, where a lot of this game is about street cred and about defining your own turf, if you don't use the head as a weapon, you're not going to play and your teammates are going to think you're gutless. That, that was one of Gleason's uh, more interesting ideas. He had a lot of them, but that was he was never in the mainstream. He, of all people, understood how the National Football League grew from an organization with George Hallis coming into the sports department, handing out right. press releases to the gargantuan behemoth that it now is with Joe Brown and Roger Goodell and all these guys doing really terrific work. Uh, for their owners. And Gleason had exactly the right approach. He understood how the game grew. He understood the attitudes of the owners. Um, he would not believe a word George Hallis said oh. <laughs> under any circumstance. He was hilarious on that topic. And, uh, and he knew. And, and he did have some good ideas. That, that's something that somebody, the union or the owners, ought to be looking at. What about the face masks and the helmets and what can be done? Lester, this goes back a number of years. The hiring of uh, Abe Gibran. There was no real formal press conference called. Dan Desmond, the Bear PR guy at that time, just hopped on the phone. I was uh, I was at WFLD. I got a call. I went by, and there were probably, at that time, maybe 12, 13 reporters, counting television crews in attendance. And, you know, Hallis announces Abe Gibran, and the first thing you find out is is that Gibran hasn't even signed a contract yet. They have yet to negotiate. And when, when someone poses a question about, uh, Abe, what kind of control are you going to have? Uh, Abe just, you know, sort of stuttered and stammered and said, well, uh, uh, I, 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 I know I'll control what happens on game day. But Muggs Hallis came out and said, you know what, I'd like to address the press about the misrepresentation of our franchise in certain newspapers. At which point, Bill Gleason, in the in the back of the room, you know, standing there just as, as strong and as powerful as a man can possibly stand, says, Moggs, would you mind telling us uh, which newspapers you're talking about? And if you're referring to the Sun-Times, are you talking about me? <laughs> Can't you just hear it? Perfect. Perfect picture of the great Gleason. There's no doubt about it. The, the, he had the attitude. He had the cynicism. He had the objectivity that you need to make the kind of judgments he made as a columnist. We, we, do we have anybody quite like that? No. I'm not sure anywhere no. in journalism there's anybody quite like that. It, but it, it's just fun to even remember it. You know what? Thank the good Lord. You mentioned the Schwartz guy with the New York Times. If this was being written about right now in Topeka, Kansas, or Seattle, Washington, it wouldn't mean a darn thing. But because it turned up in the New York Times, the NFL at least has to address in Miami during Super Bowl week the concussion issue. That's exactly right. Uh, Schwartz got his job on the New York Times writing about this. He was a freelance guy looking into this. And the New York Times 
People can say anything they want to about the New York Times. They have covered this issue. They have put it on the front page of the paper. They're giving Schwartz the time and the resources that he needs to really work this issue. So good for them. There ought to be an award out there somewhere for this. Meanwhile, we have the National Football League uh, in the continuation of its battle in the Supreme Court to uh, try to become even more empirical than it is right now, which seems almost unimaginable. You have been on this story like a blanket. <laughs> where where are all the prisoners right now? Right now, uh, for a while there, we thought maybe the Supreme Court would take a real narrow approach to this and they would reject the National Football League's claim for antitrust immunity for unlimited power over the sports industry. Instead, now, because the Supreme Court made a decision, a recent decision, it's called the Citizens United case. It has to do with campaign finance reform. This is the one that President Obama attacked in the State of the Union message, Mm -hmm. prompting Justice Alito to shake his head and say not true to the President of the United States. This is a big case. Alito was one of the guys in the case. And when you look at that case and you see how radical a move it was by five judges, you now see how the National Football League may incredibly get what it wants in this American Needle case. It's really scary. You know, my friend, uh, President Obama is vehemently opposed to the Bowl Championship Series. Why is it every time I hear Barack Obama talk about the BCS, I'm reminded of George Bush in a photo op, standing on the aircraft carrier, saying, mission accomplished. <laughs> well, by the way, uh, to the best of my knowledge, Osama bin Laden has not been located. Uh, not yet. <laughs> the uh, Obama has a wonderful issue there on the BCS. If he wants to have a bipartisan Congress, all he has to do is introduce the bill to abolish the BCS, and there would be Republicans and Democrats hugging each other to get rid of the BCS. This would be bipartisan politics. Why doesn't he do it? He can't do anything on health care. The bailout's a joke. Took over general. None of this stuff is working. Do something you can do. Eliminate the BCS, and there'll be 30 million fans or more who love you. What? Is there something wrong? Is that bad politics? I don't get it. I don't get it. Lester, the problem is you don't promote the Cotton Bowl. <laughs> That's <laughs> Those, I, I can summarize it with one phrase. Don't you, you don't you don't promote the right. Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> don't you love those guys? They got the blazer. Oh, it's orange, and it has so the Tostitos stupid. or the Weed Eater logo they, on they, it. They look like they look like a <laughs> bunch of guys who are in town for a you know for a for a Windex uh, convention. Right. Right. The uh, There's nothing like a bowl committee to make you wonder why you're involved in the sports business. How would a uh, longtime Cub fan and Cub observer and uh, frequent Cub critic Lester Munson analyze the early days of the Ricketts administration above and beyond the fact that they, they ticked off their fans almost immediately by announcing a, a price increase? On tickets. I think the price increase was a bit of a surprise, and I know that it irritated a lot of season ticket holders, including groups uh, that I am in. But I think on balance, I'm, I'm still hopeful for them. I like the fact that all of the siblings are involved. I personally do not care if they fix the bathrooms or not. I feel right at home in Wrigley Field in the men's room with the trough. Well, then, Lester, I, let me tell you, you'd love Cook County Jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that it's very offensive to most people, but they they have signed a couple of players. There's a little bit of money floating around. I have high hopes for the season, and I still think the Ricketts are going to do some good things. I'm looking for a major move 
in the midseason. Somebody that's going to cost them some money in June or July, like the Sutcliffe trade way back when, something like 84. that. That 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 would be a sign to me. This is the family we want running the. Would Cubs. you be surprised at all? Because I would not. If the ball club is playing poorly or playing at the 500 level, sometime in June, if Ricketts pulls the plug, gives the ball club to Ryan Sandberg. I wouldn't be surprised. I would think he, Ricketts, as a kind of a organizational guy, might start by firing Hendry, and then a new guy comes in, and then maybe Sandberg is the manager. But don't you love it, Ryan Sandberg, as a manager? This is the shyest guy anybody ever met, and now he gets thrown out of games, and, and, arguing with the umpires? And twice a day, three hours in front of the ball game. He's going to have to face 200 radio oh. rats oh. asking him about his bullpen, <laughs> asking him who his asking him who his starter is going to be in Game Three. You know, seven days down the road at uh, St. Louis, and then right after the ball game in 90 degree weather, when he's burned up because the ball club, you know, booted a ball in the top of the ninth and got licked four to three, he's got to face the same group. I've always ma- I've always maintained the easiest part of managing the Cubs is the ball game. Right. It's the before and after that kills you. Right. right. And and imagine Sandberg as we know him oh. in those settings. But something has happened to him. He's doing a great job as a manager. Umpires that here here you are, you're an umpire in double A baseball. Ryan Sandberg comes out to argue with you. That's a high point of this is a Hall of Famer, the greatest second baseman there ever was. He comes out to argue with you. You go home and you tell people about it. I mean the Sandberg the Sandberg <laughs> I knew when he first signed with the with the Cubs, when he won the MVP in eighty four and the Sandberg I knew who departed the Cubs, retired, came back, and then departed. Arguing with an umpire as a manager, my, my thought at that time would have been, Ryan would have walked out and said, uh, uh, Sir, I, I, I'd like to bring to your attention <laughs> a concern me? I have about the fact that you called my runner out at second base. Do you, do you think you might be willing to reconsider the issue and, and think yeah. about it again? <laughs> and now he not only goes out there and argues, he gets kicked out of a minor league game where he's the principal attraction of the entire game. And they still throw him out. Imagine what goes on there. It's wonderful. He is Lester Munson. I am Chet Coppock. We thank you, as always, for joining us here in Sports Court. We'll be back in seven days, of course, brought to you by our great friend John Coyne, the man who uh, brought to the Chicago suburbs so many years ago American Taxi. You want cleanliness, comfort, driver courtesy, you people in the suburbs, Arlington Heights, Barrington, Winnetka, whatever the case may be, the way to go is always with American. Don't be fooled by those people trying to capitalize on the name of American Taxi. And for heaven's sakes, if you've been overserved, let American Taxi be your designated driver. We thank our buddy Lester Munson, our tech man Dan Levy. I'm Chad Kapik. Take care. So long, everybody. <laughs>